This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by Libro FM, which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And with Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the larger audiobook companies out there, but you'll be part of a story that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audio books and don't know what to listen to next, you can check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. And in June, Libro FM launched their Kids Club and YA Club, which offers select audiobooks priced under $10 each month, as well as their summer listening challenge. And each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit, which is just awesome. That sounds like a great way to spend your listening summer. Listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month if you go to Libro.fm and enter code BR3. Again, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, enter code BR3, and with each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 188, and we are recording on July 9th. I'm Jen Worthington, and I'm here with Kelly Jensen, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Kelly, thank you for filling in for Amanda. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yes, we. It's always fun to build you an agenda because you're like <laughs> horror, nonfiction, YA. It's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> <sighs> always a good time. So, if you are tuning in for the first time, this is, as we said at the top, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you send us questions and we do our best to find you your favorite next read. It can be for you personally, it can be for your book club or a friend or a relative. Let us know what you love and we will find you something similar. You can send those either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's up at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. So our first question this week is actually a two-parter because two people asked very similar questions. Sonia says, this past weekend, I devoured Kitchen Counter Cooking School and am anxiously awaiting garlic and sapphires and since then have fallen down the proverbial rabbit hole of food, diet, and health. I recently found out that I am both gl gluten and lactose intolerant. And after watching Rotten and Vegucated online, I now want to go vegan. I've downloaded but have yet to start reading The Skeptical Vegan, but are there any other books that you can recommend that would help me on my merry way? And then the second question was from Maggie, who says, I'm wanting to eat healthier. I'm interested in cookbooks that focus on healthy meals, but on a budget. I'm not opposed to cookbooks that feature vegetarian or vegan meals, but don't want something that focuses on fad diets. So actually, appropriately enough, Kelly, would you like <laughs> to do our first sponsor? Yeah, our first sponsor is Green Chef. 
Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle like paleo, vegan and vegetarian, pescatarian, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. Green Chef makes cooking easy with dinner options that work around your lifestyle and not the other way around. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you'll love to cook. You can even switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready to try a new way to eat. Recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along the way. Everything comes pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. Recipes include pre-made sauces, dressings, and spices. Enjoy clean ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness and delivered right to your door with Green Chef. So I actually, I tried two of the meals. I got three. Um, I tried two of them. I tried a Mediterranean veggie and couscous bowl as well as a mushroom pimento mac and cheese. I did the uh, vegan vegetarian. Ooh. Yeah. So um, they were super easy to follow. I know how to cook and I... So I tried to like think of it as somebody who's never cooked before, and I thought that the they were both very easy. Uh, the step by steps are they there are pictures with each one, and then um, they're numbered too, so you know exactly what the things are going to look like. So there's no guessing like what goes where, what it should look like as you're um, th- like there are a couple of places where you just like dice up the chives, and it's easy to follow where those places are, where you put them into the meal. The instructions themselves on both of them, uh, the mac and cheese only had six steps and the uh, veggie and couscous bowl had seven. So super, super short. Yeah, I was I was quite impressed. I don't eat mushroom and I don't eat tomato, which were in uh, either of the, the recipes, but it was easy to cut them out and not feel like I was missing anything. One of the things I always think about is, is waste when I'm cooking because I, I try to use as little like waste as possible. I get a lot of my fresh stuff from the local farmer's market because we have an incredible farmer's market here. And what I loved about the Green Chef was that everything was recyclable. So literally from start to finish, every package that the uh, stuff came in was recyclable. So I didn't feel bad like throwing anything out because I just threw it right in the recycle, Um, which was wonderful. Like it made cooking this way even better because I'm like, okay, I'm not, you know, being wasteful either. Mm-hmm. Um, I have these perfectly portioned meals. It was perfect for my husband and I. There's just two of us. And then also I don't have to feel bad about tossing <laughs> all kinds of plastic plastic and stuff. I just toss it in the recycle. So yeah, it was great. And um, I, was, I was impressed. Uh, it was my first time trying one of these meal kits and I wasn't sad. Like I said, the two I did were the mushroom pimento mac and cheese and the mediterranean veggie and couscous bowl and both were great if you'd like to try green chef you can get a total of 75 dollars off which is 25 dollars off each of your first three boxes to do that go to greenchef.us slash booked 75 that's greenchef.us slash booked 75 for a total of 75 dollars off and thank you to Green Chef for sponsoring the show and also two of my dinners last week. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, all right. So, yes. Yeah, so cookbooks that focus on healthy, vegetarian, vegan, or gluten-free meals. What did you pick, Kelly, for your book? Yeah. My first one is Frugal Vegan by Katie Coteen and Kate Casby. And let me preface this recommendation by saying I haven't actually read the book. But, 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 I have read their blog for a long time, uh, same name, Frugal Vegan, and I've made a few of the recipes from the blog. So 
uh, what I love and know about this cookbook, which I have flipped through, I just haven't read it cover to cover, is that the focus is on vegan cooking in a way that's really approachable and affordable and doesn't rely on some of the like hard to get ingredients. Um, as somebody who's always lived in the world of meat, like I live in the Midwest, everything is meat here. Uh, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're more rural, to get access to the uh, fancier vegan uh, materials. This book doesn't have that. Um, this is just super straightforward stuff. And the recipes are great. I got obsessed this winter with one that was actually a smoothie and one of the most delicious things I've ever had. It was um, like a cup of soy milk. Or I don't want to say soy milk. Uh, I used almond milk, but you could use your, your milk of choice. Um, handful of blueberries, a blood orange, a little bit of vanilla, a handful of cashews, and then blend it up. And it was mm. the most hearty and delicious thing. And I literally had everything in my house already. I didn't have to go seek out anything weird. And it was awesome. Um, so if you're you're interested in trying more vegan recipes and uh, also are cost conscious and like don't want to go to the ends of the earth to find, you know, all of these sometimes tough to find ingredients, uh, this would be a really good one. And that is Frugal Vegan by Katie Coteen and Kate Casby. Nice. Yeah, I picked The Love and Lemons Cookbook by Janine D'Onofrio, which I discovered because my roommate at the time came home with it after having found them on Instagram. And I also have very little patience with hard to find or very expensive mm -hmm. ingredients or too many. Like if there are like 45 yeah. ingredients in a recipe, I'm not going to make it. Like I'm mm -hmm. just not. I don't have the time or the inclination and I like very rarely am willing to spend that money. But I really loved this cookbook. It's organized by ingredient, which is nice when you're like, shoot, I have all of I have these things. What do I do with them? Like what do I do with this, you know, bunch of carrots that I couldn't resist at the farmer's market or like I have this weird combination of leftover vegetables in my fridge like what do I make with them and it's really easy to find good ideas in the Love and Lemons cookbook I found it very easy to follow there were good pictures it was nicely organized the recipes generally turned out really really well and they have it's very easy to make it gluten-free or vegan depending on your preferences and they also go into like how to stock your pantry which is something I really struggle with like, mm. I understand how to buy ingredients for recipes, but I don't know how to just, like, have things on hand to cook with. For, for some reason, I really struggle with that. And it was nice to have that addressed in a cookbook where it's like, you should probably, like, you know, these are some things you could just have on hand that would be easy to turn into a meal. Mm. So that's really nice. Yeah, I loved it. And it is it is a really beautiful cookbook also. Um, but if you wanted to experiment a little bit with it before investing in a cookbook and you can't find it at the library, there is an Instagram that has lots of recipes on it that's definitely worth checking out. So again, that is The Love and Lemons Cookbook by Janine D'Onofrio. Yeah, one of the things I've really liked about cookbooks over the last, I don't know, half decade or so, I guess, is how many of them come from or have a companion either on social media or on a blog yeah. so you can test out some of the stuff before you invest in like the print copy of the thing and, mm -hmm. and both of ours here have that which is nice so that these listeners can like check it out and see if like it has really what they're they're looking for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right next question hello i'm a public librarian serving our local middle school 
I have a seventh grade teacher looking for read-alikes to S.C. Hinton's The Outsiders. They do not want other S.C. Hinton titles, yet still want titles that are age-appropriate for a seventh grade public school. The titles I find tend to be more appropriate for high school, not middle school. For example, David Arnold's Kids of Appetite, which is not an option for classroom use due to language. Any thoughts or assistance appreciated? Thank you, David. So my pick for this one is a classic. It's Monster by Walter Dean Myers. Um, If ever there were a YA author who deserves space alongside Essie Hinton in the middle school curriculum, it's Walter Dean Myers, who (laughs) has been writing these gritty, realistic YA uh, books since really the first golden age of YA in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Monster was his Prince Award-winning book, and it has such a similar feel to The Outsiders that it'd make not only for a natural pairing, But it also remains so relevant and timely to today's world for teens, particularly black teens. And it makes for a spectacular ladder book for contemporary YA that might not be great for like a seventh grade reading classroom set, but uh, recreational reads for those same kids who are looking for something outside their school assignment. Um, So the story follows 16-year-old Steve Harmon, who's on trial for murder as he's been accused of serving as a lookout for a crime where someone was shot and killed. And he becomes part of the prison system, and the story is about all of the injustices and challenges he faces as a young person behind bars. Uh, what makes this one especially compelling and I think gives a lot of like really interesting stuff to talk about in the classroom is that it's written like a script. So Steve transcribes his trial like it's a film wherein he and the readers really begin to look at whether he is guilty or innocent and what those words and labels really mean in a, in a really sort of unique format and unique style. Uh, There's been a recent graphic novel adaptation of this one, as well as a film that I think it's coming out in the fall, um, meaning that there's some nice curricular tie-ins to this one as well. Uh, It's a classic, and I think it should fit nicely with what to read, you know, alongside or instead or, you know, after The Outsiders. And that is Monster by Walter Dean Myers. Yeah, that is such a good one. I had that on my short list as well. Ultimately, I went with All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, because I think that this one, I mean, first of all, it's a Coretta Scott King author honor book, and it won the Walter Dean Myers Award for Outstanding <laughs> Children's Literature. A little little synergy there. Um, so it is an award winner. So hopefully that should help get it on. A, it should help get it on a curriculum. And I was thinking about how The Outsiders is about a shift in perspective, right? Like it's about somebody sort of learning to see outside of their own experiences or own expectations. And that's what All American Boys is about. It's got two narrators. Um, one is Rashad, who is a black kid who gets is the victim of police brutality. Uh, he wasn't doing anything wrong, but the cop thought he was. And so he gets beat up and lands in the hospital. And the other kid, Quinn, who is white, saw the thing happen. And it just so happens that the cop who was involved is his best friend's older brother. And so he like is really trying to figure out what he saw, does he need to do anything about it? And then the incident becomes, you know, the subject of news and it goes through the school and everybody's talking about it and he's trying to figure out, like, what does he do? Uh, and, and Rashad, in the meantime, is in the hospital and trying to figure out how he feels about being the subject of news stories and movements and protests and all of this stuff. 
And it's really, I mean, it's really intense. It really digs into stuff. But like The Outsiders is about murder. So I feel like <laughs> it works. Um, and it is specifically for ages 12 and up, grades 7 to 9. So hopefully that should pick in there. I mean, it's a little on the adult side. But there's, I don't think there's any content in here that would be a problem for 7th grade, aside from the political overtones, which I know, depending on your school system, is easier or harder to, to add to the curriculum. But it's a really, I think, important book, especially given what we're all dealing with in the political situation right now. And I think it does show this sort of evolving of perspective, which is a thing that The Outsiders does. So again, that's All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. All right, our next question is from Sarah, who says, I'm a ninth grade English teacher, and my students do independent reading throughout the year. It's amazing to see their diverse interests, but one common love by many this past year has been The Martian by Andy Weir. I never know what to suggest to them next after this book, and many times they have book hangovers after this read. Help me help them find a read-alike. Oh, that is a tough one. It's a tough (laughs) one. (laughs) Kelly, what do you have? Yeah, I struggle with this one in part because I haven't read The Martian. Mm. Um, so, but I, I know what it's about and I kind of know like what the key things are that hook readers. Thank you to my library background for, <laughs> for being able to do that on the fly. Um, my pick for this one is Life As We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer. And for some reason, I feel like last time I was on the show, I recommended this book, but maybe not. Uh, it's not set in space as The Martian is, which is why uh, – which – is why I said I had to like pick some of the pieces from the Martian to tie this together. And I promise there's a connection here. Um, it's set on earth and it's part of a series, but I'm going to recommend just reading the first book, which doesn't mean that kids won't pick up uh, books after it, but the first one can stand alone. And the second book in this series, the dead and the gone is pretty solid as well. After that, I was less enthusiastic but that's me as an adult kids could feel totally different about this uh so told in journal entries it's a story about a girl named miranda and her family who have taken shelter in their sunroom after a meteor knocks the moon closer to the earth there have been widespread tsunamis this incredible unbelievable winter thrust upon them and numerous other super scary natural disasters caused by this shift in the solar system Uh, So when volcanic ash begins to block out the sun, it becomes impossible to even know day to day, like when one begins and one ends, how will they survive? And where do Miranda, her brother and her mother find hope when there doesn't seem to be anything worth having hope for? Uh, It's a super compelling and super terrifying story, really based in science, uh, which I know The Martian is as well. I read this before. We had a lot of uh, the sort of news stories we have now about how terrifying climate change is. And I know how scared I was of this book when I read it. And I can only imagine that now the book takes on this whole new level of being terrifying Um, and maybe a little bit less like what could happen and more (laughs) like what is happening. And that is Life As We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer. I just always love to be terrified, don't you? <laughs> I do. I do. It's my jam. <laughs> um, I was thinking about space and the snarkiness and the science of the Martian. It is, it's really hard to find a comp for it. Mm-hmm. It is. It just is hard. Um, so I went with a nonfiction 
approach. I went with Packing for Mars, which is the subtitle is The Curious Science of Life in the Void by Mary Roach. And Mary Roach is great. She's so accessible. She's so funny. And she asks questions that are like maybe a little not silly, but mundane, like about like, how do you like if you're an astronaut, like how does going to the bathroom work? Like she asks questions about really nitty gritty detailed things that I think would definitely appeal to ninth graders. Like, yeah, how does that work? Um, And Mary Roach always gives me and everybody else I know who reads her a case of the did you knows where you're just going around like, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? Like, I learned all of these things. But she does it in such a way that you really are enjoying the reading experience. And I feel like tonally and in terms of like, oh, yeah, like, how would you grow potatoes on (laughs) Mars? Like, these are questions. Um, Like, how do you do that? Uh, That's the kind of thing that Mary Roach digs into. And so I think that for some of the kids, this could be a really good next read. I don't remember there being anything too, like, outre or, like, anything about sex in there. I can't 100% guarantee, but I'm pretty sure it's it would be fine. Um, and there's a lot of cursing in the Martian, so I feel like probably it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that's my pick for you. Hopefully it works out. Um, is definitely available in paperback. And that's Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. So our next question is, hi, ladies. I've asked questions in the show before and was super happy with the Rex, especially her body and other parties. Amazing. So thank you so much. And also I'm back for more. I've been in a real nonfiction kick lately and would love some recommendations for nonfiction, especially historical, that reads like a novel or is very readable. In addition to that, I would really prefer to read something in translation or about other countries since I'm not American or particularly interested in U.S. history. Bonus points for Greek, French, or South American history slash historical figures, but not essential. That's from Selena. And man, did I struggle with this no. one. Um, so I'm picking The Lost City of Z by David Gran. I am a huge, huge nonfiction reader, particularly on audio. And yet I was totally baffled by this question because nonfiction is such a huge category of books. And it turns out I've read nothing that really fits into what this listener wanted. So I did, again, what any librarian would do um, and did some research. And I pulled some things that you said you were interested into my query. And I think I found that this would be a really um, fitting book. It's a well-paced, compelling, narratively driven nonfiction title set in South America. So I like hit all the check marks. Um, and I, I preface again by saying I haven't read it, but I definitely want to read it after reading about <laughs> it. Uh, the, re- the reviews I read by readers that I trust all sound like it's a winner. And like, I'm going to do that really annoying thing to read the description because I can't make up anything that's going to be better. Um, so it's pretty short. After stumbling upon a hidden trove of diaries, New Yorker writer David Grant set out to solve, quote, the greatest exploration mystery of the 20th century. What happened to the British explorer Percy Fawcett in his quest for the lost city of Z? In 1925, Fawcett ventured into the Amazon to find an ancient civilization, hoping to make one of the most important discoveries in history. For centuries, Europeans believed that the world's largest jungle concealed the glittering kingdom of El Dorado. Thousands had died looking for it, leaving many scientists convinced that the Amazon was truly inimicable to humans. But Fawcett, whose daring expeditions inspired Conan Doyle's The Lost World, had spent many years building his scientific case. 
Captivating the imagination of millions around the globe, Fawcett embarked with his 21-year-old son, determined to prove that this ancient civilization, which he dubbed Z, existed. Then his expedition vanished. Fawcett's fate and the tantalizing clues he left behind about Z became an obsession for hundreds who followed him into the uncharted wilderness. For decades, scientists and adventurers have searched for evidence of Fawcett's party and the lost city of Z. Countless have perished, been captured by tribes, or gone mad. As, as Grant delved even deeper into the mystery surrounding Fawcett's quest and greater mystery of what lies within the Amazon, he found himself, like the generations who preceded him, being irresistibly drawn into the jungle's green hell. His quest for the truth and discoveries about Fawcett's fate and Z form the heart of this complex complexly enthralling narrative this sounds awesome it sounds like uh you know kind of an atlantis style story but set in the amazon and where not only like the city has gone missing but also the person who claimed he was going to find the city has gone missing and um it sounds like it would check all your boxes and so far as it checked all of mine too (laughs) i know what i need to read next and that is the lost city of z by david gran yeah i read some of that when it came out a while back, and it was very interesting. Um, and this has reminded me that I never did finish it and probably <laughs> should. My pick for you, although also, Selena, you're going to want to keep listening because there's a book I'm recommending later that will also tick some boxes for you. But my current pick for you is The Black Count by Tom Rice. This is one of my favorite nonfiction books of all time. It is about a French historical figure, so I ticked that box. And it's the real-life or the it's the story of the person who inspired the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. So the novelist Alexander Dumas, his father, General Alex Dumas, was a was a soldier in Napoleon's army, and he was also of he was biracial. He was the son of a black slave and a white slave owner slash count, and he like was brought to Paris by his father and sent to school and, you know, enlisted as a private and became a commander and, you know, was part of Napoleon's campaigns across Europe and the Middle East and then got embroiled in this political conspiracy and it sort of ruined his career. And so that story, which became the basis for the novel Account of Monte Cristo and also a little bit The Three Musketeers, um, is what Tom Rice set out to tell. And it's one of those histories that's also a little bit personal narrative. Like Rice talks about going to France and trying to find these documents that he was convinced existed about Dumas and his experiences in the army and as a biracial man in France of that era. And like some of them are funny and some of them are like, oh, like I was like, you know, he's being thwarted at every turn. But then he digs into the actual history as well. And you get all this primary source material and it's so interesting and it's so readable. Ugh, I just love this. And part of what I love about this is that I have been obsessed with the Count of Monte Cristo since I was a teenager. So finding out that like not only was this a real story, but also that it was about a man who lived such an interesting life 
life and was such a unique figure in that time period that or rather unique to me I did not know anything about this is absolutely fascinating so I think you will really dig it and it will give you some interesting insights both into 18th century France and like the multiracial society that existed at that point and also you know everybody knows a little bit at least about Alexander Dumas and the three musketeers and whatnot and that'll really flesh out your understanding of him so again that's the black count by tom rice and it is time for our next sponsor which is fiction and is a mystery which is always exciting it's the van apful girls are gone by felicity mclean and this is one of those hot summer books like literally it it includes a hot summer (laughs) and it is a hot (laughs) summer so that feels appropriate uh they are pitching it as the virgin suicides meets picnic at hanging rock and yes i know right that's an interesting comparison And it's been a favorite of Entertainment Weekly, Time, Bustle, and more. It's set in the summer in Australia in 1992. The three young Van Apfel sisters mysteriously disappear. Did they run away from their very strict, harsh parents? Were they kidnapped? Their disappearance was never solved. And years later, haunted by the loss of her playmates, Tika Malloy returns home to make sense of that strange time. So Cosmopolitan has said this is one part's mystery, one million parts amazing, which is, (laughs) that's high praise. And it's also in addition to being a mystery, a coming of age story. So Tika Malloy, who is the narrator, was 11 when the sisters who she knew disappeared. And you get a little bit of her then and then 20 years later when she's back home in Australia, still obsessed with the mystery of these disappeared sisters and trying to figure out like what happened. And there's an interesting note in here that um, Felicity McLean, the author's great grandfather, had an experience with a clairvoyant in 1914. And like there's some family lore around ghosts and that Im- that informed her approach to this novel. And Felicity McLean has also said, ultimately, what I wanted to create with the Van Apfel Girls Are Gone was an inexplicable mystery, a story that's unforgettable for what it doesn't reveal. So Mm. if you like that kind of mystery, which I think many of you do, you will definitely want to check it out. Again, that is the Van Apfel Girls Are Gone by Felicity McLean. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Caroline asks, I'm a PhD student, so I spend all my life reading heavily, reading heavy academic texts, and it means my pleasure reading is suffering. I'm reading lots of chiclet because it's predictable and it doesn't matter that I'm exhausted. I'm after some recommendations of things that are easy to read but a bit more exciting. When I do have the energy, I love thriller slash crime books and YA, especially queer fiction. Not so keen on fantasy slash sci-fi. Favorite authors are probably Becky Albertalli and Rachel Abbott. It. What you got, Kelly? All right. I uh, am going to recommend The Love and Lies of Roxana Ali by Sabina Khan. Um, I'm going with the queer way thread for this one. And though it's going to be a little bit heavier than Becky Albertalli, it's one that'll have some really well-earned swoons. And it's a story that I just haven't seen enough of in YA and want to tell everyone who loves queer YA and diverse YA to pick up. So, uh, Ruxana has been in a relationship with her girlfriend, Ariana, for a few months, and things have been going really well. 
between them anyway. Roxana hasn't been able to share the excitement of this relationship with many people, though, because she is Bengali and her parents are really conservative. So she knows that being a lesbian would potentially cause her parents to disown her, and this would have ripple effects upon uh, the pretty tight Bengali-American community that she lives in. Uh, But when she and Ariana are caught kissing... Things go from potentially scary to downright terrifying. So almost immediately, Ruxana's parents tell her that her grandmother in Bangladesh is gravely ill and that they need to fly there to spend time with her grandmother immediately. But it's all a ruse. Uh, It's an opportunity for her parents to find her a suitable husband and marry her off quickly. Lest the truth about her sexuality get out and embarrass her parents' good name among the Bengali community in Seattle. So, um, in this, in this situation, Roxana and Ariana's relationship is really tested in part because Ariana can't understand the reality of Roxana's family life. And it's also in part due to Roxana not making the leaps she keeps trying to make, but not necessarily making because she doesn't want to. So she keeps finding herself like getting to this point where she's going to do something and then not being able to do it. Keep wanting to do something and then not being able to do it. Um, but then Roxana devises this clever plan with a gay man that she's met through her parents and the opportunity to finally do something presents itself, and she leaps. Uh, This is a really moving book about identity and really more specifically about the intersection of many marginalized identities. Um, Ruxana's story is about being queer and being Bengali and having this really strict family uh, that has these really strong beliefs and rules. And it's through her grandmother, the one that her parents pretend is sick, that Ruxana learns that the determination to live her life for herself um, is in her and how this sort of determination and this interest in, in blazing her own path actually runs quite deep in the family. And that is The Love and Lies of Rixana Ali by Sabina Khan. Well, shoot, now I need to read that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a queer YA thriller for you. Ta-da! I actually haven't read it yet, but it's by Melinda Lowe, who I've read other works by and absolutely love. It's A Line in the Dark, which is one of her newest books, and it got absolutely rave reviews from so many people I know, so I feel very confident recommending it to you. I loved it. Right? It's on my list. It's stupid that I haven't gotten to it yet, but here we are. Um, So this is about a girl named Jess Wong, who is best friends with Angie Redmond, but would really like to be more, but that's okay. Like Angie can't see that. And so she's all right. Just Jess is all right. Just being on the sidelines, you know, sort of watching like she's an observer wallflower kind of person. And so she just sort of, you know, does that and is Angie's best friend and that's fine. But then Angie starts to fall for Margot, who is a girl from a nearby boarding school. And suddenly her post as the all-knowing observer is just going to torture her. Uh, and so Angie starts to drag Jess along with her into Margot's circle, and there are secrets and all kinds of things going on that Jess can see that Angie can't. And so everything is going to unwind, and Jess has to figure out like what she's going to do about her feelings and these secrets that she's finding out. And ooh, it sounds so good. It sounds like so much fun. I love these sort of twisty, turny friendship slash 
crush books. I think they're so <laughs> interesting. Like they're that kind of twisty turny that I love. And the cover for this book is one of my favorite covers mm-hmm. I think I've ever seen on a YA book. Like it's so good. Um, so there's so much going for this. And yes, like even Ke- like Kelly's like, yes, I loved it. Like everybody yeah. I know loved it. So I feel very confident recommending it to you. So again, that's A Line in the Dark by Melinda Lowe. I was so sad when I saw you put this one down because I wanted to talk about it, but it's all good. That means you got two very good book recommendations for this one. There we go. There we go. The next question is from Reed, and it reads, I'm looking for book recommendations for an upcoming camping trip. It will be just me and my husband relaxing in the woods, hiking, etc. Last year, I read Undaunted Courage and really loved reading about their journey while I had a much more moderate adventure. It does, doesn't necessarily have to be nonfiction, but it does have to be in paperback since that's easy to carry. Thanks. I love this question. I was so excited <laughs> when I saw this one. Um, my recommendation is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Walkemer. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to this one on audio read by the author herself, which doesn't get to your question, uh, really, but uh, the book is in paperback, and I'm hoping that I can pick up a paperback copy soon to revisit because I just loved how beautiful and thoughtful this book was. Um it's a book that marries native wisdom about the world along with biology, as Kemer is a professor of biology and also a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. And I think it'd be perfect if you're spending time outdoors. Like, it gives you a lot to really chew on in a number of different ways. Uh, this is a collection of essays, and it's a love letter to both science and native knowledge and heritage. But it's also a really powerful call to action to stop being part of the machine of greed and theft from what the world really gives us. Uh, It's given me a lot to chew on and consider, especially as somebody who really is invested in nature and the world around me. Um, Some of my favorite pieces in here were about the ways that plants communicate with us. Um, There's this wonderful piece about um, salamanders and war. There's a piece um, from Kemer on making maple syrup with her daughters that was really wonderful. And then I just loved Robin's observations on taking your students from the classroom uh, out into the field and teaching them how to do, um, they did like this grocery store experiment where they um, had to learn how to shop while in the marsh. It was just really fun and different and unique and just such a smart book and I, I was debating between this one and her um, other book about moss to recommend to you because both <laughs> sort of take these these things that we can so easily take for granted and make it really, really personal, uh, weaving in also, you know, the science as well as the native knowledge and just how intertwined those two things really are. And that is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Keemer. Yeah, Amanda and I are both obsessed with that book as well. It's so good. <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. good. Um, okay, so this is the book I referenced earlier in the show that might also be good for Selena. It's The River of Doubt by Candace Millard. And this book, I tore through this. It does read sort of like a novel, but it is nonfiction. It's written beautifully. And it is fascinating. It is about Theodore Roosevelt's exploration of a river in Amazon, in the Amazon, excuse me. And I was a little nervous going into this, even though the reviews are so good, because like there's so much racism and colonialism issues around explorations like this. And I find 
that I have read books in the past that don't address that. But this book absolutely does and is a really incredible story about the personalities that went on this expedition. So the context for this is that after he tried to run for his third term as president, was defeated in 1912, Roosevelt decided to go on an adventure and ended up going to South America to try to map this river that like they knew it existed, but they didn't really know where exactly it went. Nobody had mapped it. Um, and that's why it was called the River of Doubt. And he joins up with a famous Brazilian explorer, Candido Rondon, and a bunch of other people, including his son Kermit, to go down the river. And it is like all of the things that could go wrong do. Like they literally get to the river and don't have boats. You're just like, <laughs> what is wrong? Like the, you know that this is happening because you're reading along, but you're just like, oh my God, like you are, this is not going well. Are you, any of you going to make it out alive. And they almost don't for various reasons, including, you know, disease and they packed the wrong kinds of food and they didn't pack enough and they, you know, didn't, their prep wasn't good. And also it's just an incredibly challenging kind of wilderness. And in addition, there were natives who were, for lots of very good reasons, not friendly to people coming into their territory. And and many of them had never communicated with white men in particular. So there were all kinds of dangers and perils that both the explorers were bringing with them into the wilderness and there were perils that awaited them. And Millard does a really great job of giving you like the nature information. Like there's these wonderful sections on the ecosystems of the Amazon and how they evolved the way they did and all of the different plants and animals and how they interact with each other. And she gets into specifically one of the tribes called the Sinta Larga and how pivotal the fact that they let the exploration go through their territory was like for their own reasons they decided to let the explorers pass through and that is a huge like that helped change the course of this history in addition she addresses like the very good intentions of the brazilian explorer rondon who founded the indian protection service and was working on getting you know telegraph equipment strung through the amazon so that you know in his head he could integrate them with the outside world but she also addresses both his good intentions and the harm that 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 this very much did to those tribal populations so i thought it was really well balanced you get a sense for what a character roosevelt was and as well as all of of these other people that he was on the exploration with. So I think you'll tear through it. I think it will make you really glad that we have modern conveniences. <laughs> um, and it's just a fascinating story. So again, that's The River of Doubt by Candace Millard. And our last question is from Kelly, different Kelly, who says, I've been growing more interested in reading transhuman science fiction, specifically books that feature mind hacking, mind uploading, or resleeving into artificial bodies. Some similar books I've read are Cory Doctorow's Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom and Alyssa Nutting's Made for Love. It would be a bonus if the recommendations included either romance or horror and double bonus if they feature LGBTQ characters and issues. So what have you got, Kelly? <sighs> <laughs> this question was so outside of my realm and I had no idea what to recommend. But the longer I thought about it, uh, the more I felt like this would be a great pick. And my pick is Feed by M.T. Anderson. Uh, let me preface by saying I listened to this one on audio. And if you do audio, uh, this one is outstanding and terrifying in that format. Um, I'm not a big 
fiction listener, but this one, like, oh man, I think it made it even better. Um, so it's a book about consumerism, about identity crisis, and about what happens when our brains are hijacked by the technological world around us. So um, it's a story about Titus and his friends who are on their latest trip to the moon, and they're bored going to the moon. Like, it's super boring. Um, <laughs> and they're prepared for their, like, normal activities of chilling out and partying and also being bored. Um, but then a hacker takes control of the feeds that live inside their head, causing them all to malfunction and end up in the hospital. And it's here where Titus meets a girl he begins to fall for who seems to be less affected by the feed hacking than he and his friends. Uh, the idea of the internet being implemented in our brains is actually terrifying. And the fact that it could so easily influence every action and emotion we take just like sent chills down my spine. And this, I read this book probably 10 years ago. And this was before like... Mm, we got even more technology and more like <laughs> I'm a tinfoil hatter sometimes a lot of times and so like <laughs> <laughs> like this one really I think if I revisited it like would make me want to get rid of the internet altogether um but I, I thought this one because I thought it was really interesting um how our minds can be hacked um especially with technology and how um Easily, we just become blasé about things that are actually not blasé at all. Like, the book literally starts with Titus and his friends talking about how boring it is to go to the moon. And it's like, wait a minute, that's incredible, you know? But, you know, in their world, it's it's boring. Um, and, and how many things do we, like, in our everyday world take for granted in that same way? Um, and that is Feed by M.T. Anderson. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I have heard so much about that book from so many people who love it. It's another one that's on my TBR, and I definitely thought of it when I read this question. So A plus work. Awesome. Good. I knew I knew what those I like I had to look up some of those words because like I don't read a whole lot of fantasy <laughs> fantasy. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna put. And I'm like trying to research and I'm like, Kelly, just go with something that you've read that you like that you think like would fit. And then this came up to mind immediately. And I was like, Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good, pretty solid one. So thank you. Thank you for the affirmation. <laughs> I will validate you. <laughs> Um, I have a short story collection for you, and I think you're gonna love it. It's called Upgraded. It is edited by Neil Clark, and it has so many amazing authors in it. Just the most, um, Tobias S. Buckle is in here, Elizabeth Bear, Madeline Ashby, Ken Liu, like just an amazing combination of people. Genevieve Valentine and Seth Dickinson are in here. Like it's a really incredible combination of people. And I think my favorite story that I'm going to talk a little bit about it's actually the first one. It's by Yoon Ha Lee. Surprise, surprise. I love something by Yoon Ha Lee. I know. You're all just shocked. Um, and it's called Always the Harvest. And it's about a woman who lives in a world where, like, it's a, it's a world that has been colonized by humans. And it's the world has sort of changed and shifted in weird ways to, re in response to their presence, including things like, growing body parts out of walls of tunnels and like or other random things and so there's a harvesting that happens um but it's very expensive to get access to those 
And if you are from a like disenfranchised population, like you just don't, you might not have access. But everybody is augmented in in some way. Everybody is sort of a cy- cyborg. And so she is doing some scavenging and trying to find stuff, but it's totally illegal. And she's you know trying to be really sneaky and quiet. And she comes across a person slash being in a tunnel who she thinks she's saving and who ends up saving her. And I don't want to say anything else because it's a short story and I don't want to give away the whole plot, but oh man, it is both a little bit creepy. I mean, actually kind of a lot creepy and there's a romance to it. And it's so interesting about like, what does it mean to be a human and how might other people other creatures and beings interpret what humanity is all about based on how we behave. Oh, it's it's really intense. It's really <laughs> fantastic. And there's other great ones in here too that have things like, you know, uh eye hacking and or mind hacking and um you know, uh, lots of artificial bodies or people learning to manipulate and like regrow things in weird different ways. There's a lot of space in it. There's so many different aspects and some of them are more horror-y and some of them are more science techy. There's one really, really sweet one about a brother and sister called What I've Seen With Your Eyes by Jason K. Chapman that I loved. They're just fascinating. They're so interesting. And I think you will discover a lot of authors who you will want to read more of as you go through this collection. So highly, highly recommended. Again, that's Upgraded, edited by Neil Clark. And that's our show. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and thank you for having me. These were... These are some tough questions. <laughs> Welcome to the Get Booked Experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People have very specific interests and it's always a challenge. Yeah, no, it was a fun challenge though because it's like, what can I find that might fit? And, you know, you hope that you push people just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And myself, I always end up pushing myself in interesting mm-hmm. directions. So, well, thank you all for listening. If you are so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show. It helps us know how we're doing. You can also always let us know on Twitter. Uh, tag us at Book Riot. And we might even, you know, if you have something nice to say, we might share it. So. Thank you also to our sponsors for making the show possible. And individually, you can find us on social media. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's IRL. And Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And I am both on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars. V-E-R-O-N-I-K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-S. I had to stop and pause and remember how to spell my own name. <laughs> And on that note, (laughs) we'll talk to you next time. Bye.